Welcome to A Brew and a Biscuit, a podcast for those who want to live a more intentional life and take a different path. I'm your host, Nicolette LaFonseca. goodness today I am sitting here in my house in a really thick woolen cardigan thick socks and my dressing gown which is huge and I am still freezing if I sound like I'm shivering today when I'm recording it is because I am probably shivering not to let my impending hypothermia get in the way of producing my podcast so today I want to talk to you about embracing the imperfect and how apt that today it's far from a perfect temperature. Definitely a few episodes into the podcast now and it occurred to me that I sit here and talk about how I do things and suggest better ways of doing things that work for me, that may work for you and I'm afraid that I might be coming off a little bit smug. Believe me when I tell you I have absolutely nothing to be smug about. Yes, there are some things that I have found through trial and error and lots of error to get there that now work for me and that's what I want to share but I still mess up there are still areas in my life where I am a big fat failure or there are just those days where everything goes wrong and we don't exist in a vacuum I interact with my partner with my children with waiting for delivery drivers with a house that keeps wanting to fall apart and is now slowly turning into a fridge. There's many things that we can put into place to make our lives run smoother and be better and optimise it for ourselves. We're always going to have really bad days. Wouldn't it be much nicer that when we do have those imperfect moments or those really bad days, that we could embrace them and take some joy in them instead of them completely and utterly flooring you? We may not all be suffering from perfectionism. I thought it would be really useful to just have a little look at perfectionism to give us an understanding of why when we look at a polished life, it can make us feel a little bit crappy about our own life. So there are two types of perfectionism. The first one is self-prescribed. This is our inner voice, the the thing that drives us, the our desire to be the best that we can be, to achieve all that we can achieve. And unless we allow our self-prescribed perfectionism to get out of control, it's a good thing. It's what makes musicians want to play better, athletes run faster, unless they're jumpers, then they need to jump higher instead of running faster. I don't really know much about sports. That might be obvious by now. The second type of perfectionism, which is what I want to focus on today, is the socially prescribed perfectionism and that is what is coming from the messages that are around us and not just those messages that we're bombarded with like the magazines, the Instagram, the websites. You go onto LinkedIn and everybody's just got a promotion because LinkedIn's told you they've just got a promotion or a new job. The other sort of socially prescribed perfectionism could be the pressure that our parents or our children or our partner is putting on us. Perfectionism is not our desire to do better. It is when our desire to do better gets out of control and then we stop 
becoming better. We stop improving and we actually have a lifetime of inactivity and self-sabotage and depression and anxiety and in really extreme cases, suicide. So before we even get on to embracing the imperfect, why not take a moment to not allow these images and these polished narratives to give us a false sense of the world. Take a moment to remind yourself what it was like when you could invite your friends over. Thank you, COVID. Every time people would come over, you tidy the house. Even if it's only a little, you might shove the ironing pile in the bottom of the wardrobe so no one can see it. You'll run the hoover around, you'll move the dirty dishes, and that's fine. Everybody does that. When we put photographs of ourselves on the mantelpiece or the wall, I don't normally put that photograph of me when I look like a dog's dinner, which most of the time I do look like I've been dragged through a hedge backwards. Nobody wants to do that. I don't have my marital differences in public. I don't tell my friends about all the really inane or horrible things my kids have done. So if we don't do any of those things face to face, why would we put those things on our grid or on our Facebook page? How often do we say, oh look, this is a photo of me looking absolutely awful or I am really unhappy in my marriage. I'm not, by the way. Hypothetically, I wouldn't say I'm really unhappy in my marriage to a bunch of complete strangers. And so we know that we don't do this thing, yet something happens in our brain that we're convinced that everybody else is being completely upfront. And just think how easy it is to polish your life on Instagram as opposed to in real life. In real life, if somebody comes around, it's going to take me at least half an hour to try and hide all the mess in my house and make it look tidy and lovely. If I want to take a photograph for Instagram, all I need to do is turn the camera and angle it away from a pile of crap in the corner. So let yourself off the hook. None of us are perfect. If I'm not sharing every part of my imperfect life, why would people be sharing theirs? So cut yourself some slack. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. So how can we take some joy in that instead of beating ourselves up? Because that's never good. I thought that the best way to do that would be to share sometimes when I cataclysmically messed up, I just about managed to say cataclysmically there, messed up and actually had more fun or could laugh at the situation or take joy in the situation. And I thought by my examples, then it might help you to look at your own failings and take some joy in them. So my first absolute failure is the gingerbread house. Now for those of you who know me, I am Christmas and you all know that I am Christmas. For those of you who are going to get to know me, I start preparing for Christmas in August and that's not even a joke. Sometimes if I'm really excited, I will start preparing in July. I like every single Christmas movie bar two so far and I have a complete and utter Christmas blindness or so I'm told with Christmas movies. I'm obnoxiously Christmas, but in the best possible way because I just love it. We're not religious in our household, but I am raising my kids Christmas and they start low level singing Frosty the Snowman. Around mm, about August and sometimes it can carry on after Christmas well into March with that house. So because we watch a lot of Christmas movies, we see a, a very polished Americanized fake version of Christmas and that's fine because you look at it and it's a movie and you know it's fake and I've never attempted a gingerbread house before until I had children. Now I'm quite a good 
cook. I used to write recipes for Channel 4. I share a lot of recipes on my blog. I'm quite good at baking cakes. I don't do too much decorative stuff, but I'm an artist, I'm a crafter, so you know how hard can it be to stick some pieces of gingerbread together and make it look exquisite? Turned out a little bit harder than it looks. So just to give you a background, I was living in Paris. I was living in Paris for four and a half years when I had my first child. And he was a miracle baby in every sense of the word I'd had. So many miscarriages. I'd had a stillbirth. How he got here alive and kicking is, is nothing short of a miracle. I'm not religious, but I don't know another word to use. Then I got pregnant again after, shortly after having Sebastian. And I'd read women's magazines and everybody says oh you know once your body has done it once it's fine so for the first time ever I wasn't worrying in my pregnancy I wasn't filled with anguish and unfortunately I did lose that baby and at the same time we had to repatriate so I was leaving Paris which I loved leaving some friends leaving great memories of where Sebastian had been running around and playing in the park and so there was all this emotional pull. We, I was going through a lot of trauma with my extended family at the time. I came back to this house in Yorkshire which was even colder than it is today uh, and half falling apart. My partner was having trouble at work. It, it was a nightmare of a time and I just sank into depression and this was in the October. So by Christmas... I was literally putting tinsel in what was something across between a building site and a crack den. That's how bad the house was. We had cling film taped to the windows and it was still freezing. And I was just desperately trying to make a nice Christmas, the nicest Christmas I possibly could. And my son had been watching these movies with me and looking at gingerbread houses and asked to make a gingerbread house. And so in my mind, I had now attached so much emotion this gingerbread house being perfect because it was going to be me proving myself as a mother and proving myself as a human showing that it was all going to be okay because the house we had bought sight and seen which I don't regret by the way was falling apart my life was falling apart so I'd put a little bit too much pressure on myself with this gingerbread house needless to say this was the worst gingerbread house in the world my partner actually said to me I think it's the worst one I've ever seen, Nick. And he wasn't wrong, really. He was not wrong. It fell apart. It wouldn't stand up. We had tin cans, like, acting as acros to try and support this thing. And then I picked up the... Actually, Joe was the one. He picked up this bowl of the remaining icing sugar mortar that's supposed to stick these things together. And he just poured it down the chimney and it all came flooding out and it was falling to pieces. I nearly cried and then I looked over at Sebastian and I hadn't seen him laugh so hard in so many weeks because I, he must have been, he was only two and he must have been picking up on all of this tension and upset and he had lost his surroundings that he was used to as well and I just started laughing. All three of us were laughing like we hadn't laughed in months and now when I look at those photos of this absolutely horrific gingerbread house it just fills me with so much joy and I must be being hormonal because I'm nearly in tears now and um, my gingerbread houses have slightly improved but they're still almost 
kind of awful. They're still, yeah, they're still pretty much awful, but, we, you know, we jazz them up by putting dinosaurs on them and stuff. Sebastian actually makes it to a tradition of, when's Daddy going to, to pour the icing sugar on? And, oh, we're going to do this. Oh, Mummy, get the cans out. This imperfect moment that I had put all my pressure on to make perfect, the imperfection of it and the joy of it and the laughter that came quite out of the blue and I wasn't expecting it, actually kind of smacked me around the face to sort myself out and has become the new tradition of making really crappy gingerbread houses. So my second example is also a little bit based around a house move. Uh, again, it was at a time that was pretty difficult for me. I had gone back to university a second time to do a another degree and had a complete traumatic leaving of that university in my second year because of a, a disability discrimination issue of my mental illness. The day of moving, it was torrential rain, like biblical rain was happening. We destroyed our flat on the way out trying to get this sofa, this beautiful sofa that our, my in-laws had bought for us as a gift. So automatically then we know we're going to lose our deposit because we have smashed this wall. Driving with our van down the motorway to move into the house, it's torrential rain. We've can't park outside our house because our house wasn't on an actual road we had to keep running down a street up a ginnel through a courtyard to this house so every boxes were, were just disintegrating in the rain we'd got everything in the house was freezing because it was an empty we'd bought an empty house that was then we go upstairs and actually the roof is leaking in the attic bedroom so that was brilliant we get to the end of it and the last thing to get in is this sofa which we'd save till last and we get it through the kitchen and we get it round the corner and then the sofa gets stuck on the stairs. Joe is in the kitchen, I am at the top of the stairs and wedged in between us is this sofa. I just burst out laughing. I had to climb over the banister and sort of shimmy down into the kitchen. We didn't know what to do, it was completely and utterly wedged in there. And we just thought, sod it. We climbed up and over and just made a bed up on the mattress, stayed there the night, just laughing constantly about the ridiculousness of this situation. Eventually, with some cajoling and moving and a little bit of breaking of the banister and then fixing of the banister, we managed to get the sofa back down into the kitchen, but there was no way it was going upstairs into the living room. And so we ended up selling this brand new sofa which cost a lot more than 140 pounds for 140 pounds on ebay instead of getting really upset about that aspect as well when the guy turned up he was just so overjoyed because he and his girlfriend had just had a baby and they had no money he was just blown away he said god it looks even better than it did on the photograph and he was just so so happy which in turn made me really happy that day I don't actually now remember really how much I was aching because I am disabled I am a spoonie and some days when I push myself to do something and I use up like a month's worth of spoons I really pay for it afterwards but I don't actually remember how rotten I felt after the move or how rotten I felt about losing the sofa I just remember sitting on the stairs laughing and how happy this guy was to get this absolute bargain of a sofa. My last example is another parenting story. 
and for any parents out there you will know this to be true if you're brand new parents this will happen as much as you say that you are not going to start blame shifting to each other um, between you and your partner or point scoring or bickering because you're tired there will be a time that you do it it's fine we all do it just move on the time that i was at this point of having a real barney with joe was when we were trying to get humphrey to sleep bedtime had been going on for hours everybody becomes a little bit testy and on edge and then eventually i said just let's stop because this this row was there was brewing and we were getting snippy and mean let him run around it doesn't matter i'm not going to fight it anymore there's nothing in our bedroom that can hurt him let's just have a grown-up conversation and leave him to his own devices little did i know that he was going to touche me to the best of his ability so humphrey climbed down off the bed and was walking around the room touching things bashing things that's fine joe and i attempted to have an adult conversation probably not a very good one because my brain was mashed at the time but then humphrey disappeared behind the curtain that's fine you know he loved playing peekaboo he still likes playing peekaboo and then all of a sudden i hear a and i know that there was nothing on our windowsill that he could choke on there's nothing on the windowsill but there's that part of you as a parent who's like i can't be that person who doesn't check and then my child chokes to death you know we look at each other i'm like okay i'm gonna go and check so i go over to the the window pull back the curtain and say what the goodness i, I didn't really say what the goodness i said something far far ruder he had managed to disrobe himself take his nappy off do a poo because he did not smell of poop before do a poop take the nappy off smear the poop into the radiator right into the radiator on the window on the windowsill on himself and was then eating the poop and i pull back the curtain say the rude words and this beautiful little boy just offers me a hand of poo like up as if to say would you like some mummy obviously i didn't and we jumped into action and we then had to spend a good while showering our son cleaning inside the radiator and trying to take as many bits off the radiator and really fool on us for thinking that we could beat him and just let him tire himself out because he showed us good and proper but now i look back at that and we just laugh so hard and it go went into the memory book and what could have been a really big argument between joe and myself and it was a completely imperfect moment it diffused tension we were still exhausted afterwards i was probably really wrecked the next day but all i remember is how funny we found it and now my kids are really into that stage that narcissist stage where they just want me to tell them stories about themselves and that's one of the stories that we tell so i hope that my three stories of how life ain't always blissful here but we can laugh about them uh, will help you look back and maybe find some perfect imperfect moments in your own days uh, now obviously there are still those moments where i haven't found joy in it and that's also understandable as well you don't have to be a funny clown you don't have to laugh at every situation but the more you 
can and the more you find those moments, the easier it gets for you. Finding perfect, imperfect moments or using humour to diffuse sadness or trauma shouldn't be something else that you're pressurising yourself with. It should be something that is there that you can use as a tool to make yourself feel better. And if you don't want to use that that day or it's not working for you, then that's also okay. It's a tool in the toolbox. I really hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode and I'd like to let you know that the house has actually finally warmed up. Um, I'm considering taking one of my many layers off, just the dressing gown, so nothing rude, don't get excited. Thank you.